0: Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features Pastor Dan Slagle and was recorded on Sunday, July 11th. Thanks for tuning in. If you live close by, we'd love to meet you in person next Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. And you can always join us online at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Dan. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you, whether you're with us here in Center Court West or if you're in our communion venue or if you're coming to us online We're so glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. That's the fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one. That can be yours to keep if you need it. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 8, if you want to go ahead and be turning there. Now, I think all of us would acknowledge that there are some actions in life that cannot be undone. You know, there there are those instances where the toothpaste is not going back in the tube. It can't be fixed. We can't take it back. What's done is done, and that's all there is to it. As much as we may wish that it were differently, what's done is done, and it can't be undone. Sometimes even to our great Humiliation and embarrassment. Several years ago, Pastor Ken and I went to a preacher's meeting. Doesn't that sound like a barrel of monkeys? Uh, There were about a hundred or so in attendance, and before we arrived, the convener of the meeting had set up a bunch of round tables uh, for us to uh, have lunch on. But before we were seated, he said, "Uh, here's the deal, I want you to sit at a table with people that you don't know. So Pastor Ken and I went our separate ways and uh, I found myself uh, sitting next to a guy who is probably one of the funniest human beings I think I have ever met. I mean, this guy was a scream. From the moment we sat down, he's just got everybody laughing their heads off. Before lunch was brought out, they had set out glasses of uh, ice water and tea. And at one point, Shortly after I sat down, I I took a big old swig of iced tea and this guy made some crack and I spewed tea all over him. I mean, his face, his shirt. He took an iced tea bath. You talk about something that could not be undone. And of course, I, you know, embarrassed as I could be, I immediately jumped up. I'm apologizing. I'm handing him my napkin, you know, offering to pay for the cleaning of his shirt. Fortunately, he was very good-natured about it. He's just like, hey, hey, it's no, no problem. No worries. Probably half my fault for cracking a joke when I did. Well, for some reason, up to that point, we had not introduced ourselves. And uh, he stuck out his hand, and he said, by the way, nice to meet you. My name's Joe Blow. And in a moment of utter inspiration, I stuck out my hand and said, It's so nice to meet you too. My name is Ken Worline." <laughs> yeah, some things in life just can't be undone. They come in all shapes and sizes. But there is one in particular that is common to us all. And it towers over all the rest easily. What I'm talking about is the problem of sin. Now, when I say that word, I would be really curious to know what is the first thing that goes through your mind? Bad behavior, immorality, dishonesty, an angry God, hellfire brimstone, uh, maybe a big eye roll. Maybe you think, oh, brother, that's just something the church came up with to rain on everybody's parade. I imagine there are any number of definitions of sin out there. But it's real. Now, maybe you're also thinking to yourself, Pastor Dan, sin, today, really? I mean, today finally is the day I've managed to get my friend to come to church with me and you want to talk about sin, well, yeah, I am. Sorry. But I'm confident that uh, we're going to talk about it in a way that won't be embarrassing to you, and I I don't think it will dissuade your friend from ever coming back to church. No, my goal this morning is not to frighten anybody. I'm, I'm not trying to twist anyone's arm. No, I simply want us to have an honest conversation about A reality in the human experience, an inescapable reality, one that from where we stand cannot be undone. It's no overstatement to say when we consider the reality of sin, we have got a problem. Now to guide our thinking, we're going to look at a story from the 8th chapter of John, beginning In verse 1, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around Him and He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. We'll get to the story in just a moment, but uh, to begin with, I want to define sin just so that we're all on the same page. What do we mean when we're talking about this thing called sin? Well, for starters, I suppose you could say it's something that we do not like to talk about. Uh, it ranks right up there with politics And money and religion in general, you just don't bring those kinds of things up in polite company. Um, You might try at your next dinner party to make sin the topic of discussion and see how that goes over. But to be more precise, I really like the definition that um, a pastor from the City Church of New York, Pastor Susie is her name, I really like the definition that she provides. She defines sin as anything less than God's ideal. Anything less than God's ideal. And she roots this definition in creation, in the creation story. You'll recall back in the book of Genesis, when God created the world, he created it perfectly. Everything about it was just as it should be, it truly was the ideal habitat. For humanity, perfect in every way, ideal for humans to enjoy relationships with one another, to enjoy an unbroken relationship with God, to flourish, to fill the earth as God commanded. Everything about it was just right. And God had only one request as He placed Adam and Eve in that creation. And His request was that They would live in this land of perfection according to his design, his ideal design. Which, if you think about it, doesn't really seem all that unreasonable. I mean, after all, he created it. Surely, as the designer, he knows how it's going to work best. So, just live according to my design and all will be well if you choose not to. Things won't be so well. And as we know, unfortunately, our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to live according to their own design, which was far less than God's ideal. And in that moment, sin entered the world. And we've been dealing with it ever since. We live in a broken world filled with broken people. And the evidence of sin is all around us. God's Word gives testimony to the reality of it. For example, God's ideal is that in marriage, a man and woman come together and live in faithfulness together all the days of their lives. He even underscored this by by putting... The proscription in the Old Testament, one of the top ten, thou shalt not commit adultery. God's ideal is for couples to remain faithful. But in our story, the woman and her unnamed partner took matters into their own hands and decided, no, we're going to live according to our own ideal, The Pharisees really weren't much better off. God's ideal for human relationships in general is that we treat one another with the same characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Things like love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. But they were demonstrating anything but those things to this woman. They didn't care about justice or righteousness. They simply wanted to use this woman for their own evil purposes, to try and trap Jesus. They had a different ideal about how human relationships ought to work. We can bring the notion of sin home, though. We don't have to go to the Bible for examples. When I was a teenager, uh, one day I broke the laces uh, on a pair of boots that I owned So, I went to a big box store to get a replacement pair and wandered up and down the aisles, could not find the right laces anywhere. Even more frustrating, I couldn't find anybody in that whole store to help me. It's like they were all purposefully hiding from me. Getting more and more frustrated, I decided, well, I'll just have to look somewhere else. But as I'm leaving, I suddenly see a a pair of display boots. Not in a box, just there on a stand. And those boots have the perfect laces that I need. I think to myself, they're probably not going to sell me the laces without the boots. So I took a good look that way, and a good look that way, stuffed them in my pocket, and walked right out of there. And, of course, I justified it to myself. I rationalized, ah, you know, it, they're a big company. They're a big store. They're, they're not going to miss a measly little pair of laces, are they? Never mind that God's ideal for all transactions is honesty. And yet I had a better design. I had a better idea. I chose expediency over honesty. And just like the woman in our story and just like the Pharisees, in that moment, when I chose something less than, I stepped in to sin. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about adultery or laces, sin is sin. And there's no getting around it. And it has the same ultimate impact in our lives. It wreaks the same havoc in our lives. But we become masters of denial. If you were able to take a moment by moment, day by day, year by year inventory of your entire life, I bet you would be surprised at the number of times that you were able to rationalize, to justify, to deny, to just put the whole notion of sin out of the picture because it's not a pleasant thing to think about. Better just to pretend like it isn't there than to acknowledge it. But that would be like M.D. Anderson suddenly announcing, we have decided that there is no such thing as cancer and we are shutting all operations down tomorrow. Would that make cancer go away? No. It would still destroy countless lives as it has done for thousands of years. Saying it isn't so doesn't make it so. No, we've we've got a problem, friends, and it's called sin. Now, maybe some of you think, okay, so I... I'll give you that. I'll acknowledge the reality of this thing called sin. Everything isn't up to snuff. Nobody's perfect. I get that. But why is it such a big deal? I mean, why does the Bible... Why why are you, Pastor Dan, making such a big deal out of it? Well, I'm making a big deal out of it because the Bible makes a big deal out of it. You see, Scripture is clear that the ultimate destiny of a person who sins, is death. That's the only place sin ever leads, is death. When God placed Adam and Eve in that perfect garden, He was very explicit with them. When He said, I need you to live this way, but if you don't, in that day you shall surely die. Death became a part of the human experience because of an unwillingness to live according to God's design. An intentional decision to turn away from God. And as a result, death entered into the human experience. Why would that be? What's the necessary connection? Well, it's really rather simple. God, of course, as the creator, is the source and the sustainer of all life. The only reason we exist is because He wants us to. The only reason there is anything at all is because God has declared it to be, to exist. And if we choose to separate ourselves, disconnect ourselves from the source of life, what's the alternative? Death. Death but we're getting just a little bit ahead of ourselves. You see, that's the end result. But far, far, far before we die, sin is doing a destructive work in all of our lives. Sin is about destruction and decay. It's never about working for our good. Not only do we separate ourselves from God, the source of all life, but sin separates us from one another. It is the destroyer of relationships. It is the destroyer of everything that we hold to be precious, hopeful, meaningful, purposeful. And certainly at the top of the list would be human relationships. But sin has a way of mangling those and driving us apart from one another. The story in our text for the morning is a perfect illustration of how sin estranges people from one another. There are a few sins out there that exhibit the selfishness of humanity like adultery because when a person commits adultery, they're not thinking about their spouse if they have one or the spouse of the other person. They're not thinking about the children whose lives will be ripped apart with embarrassment and shame and hurt. No, oh, if the truth be told, they're not even thinking about the other person. They are paramount. Some theologians say that sin not only turns us away from God, but it turns us inward. Its essence is selfishness. It's all about Me my desires, my needs. At the end of the day, I'm going to make sure that that is what is taken care of. Now, there's a peculiar danger a preacher faces when the primary illustration is, is one like we have read in the Bible today. Because I am perfectly aware that probably the majority of us here cannot identify with this woman regarding that sin. And there's a tendency within us to say, well, you know, I haven't done that. Maybe I've done a few wrong things, but I've never been unfaithful to my spouse. I've never led anyone to, into adultery. And we get into this game of uh, you know, comparison. And there's the really big, bad sins, and then there's the, well, you know, maybe not so bad sins. And as long as we can stay on this side of the ledger, well, why does anybody need to get upset about it? But you see, that's not the way God looks. It's sin. When I was in college, uh, I took a theology course, and one day, the professor stood up before the class and said, true or False. Big sins, little sins, all sins are equal. And there was debate back and forth. Everybody had a different opinion. And finally, he spoke forth the truth. False. False. Clearly, not all sins are equal. How how can you begin to compare murder with a little white lie? The outward uh, consequences are vastly different. So that's a false statement. But then he said, true or false? Big sins, little sins, all sins are equally sinful. True. True. And to illustrate his point, he he drew an imaginary line. And the line represented the difference between righteousness and, and sinfulness. And he said, So, it doesn't matter if you take one step over the line, e.g., tell a white lie, or if you get a running start and leap 50 feet over the line, adultery, murder, in both instances you are over the line. The outward consequences may be radically different, but the spiritual, eternal consequences will be exactly the same. We have separated ourselves from God, the source of life. We have done something that cannot be undone. There's no stepping back over the line. And to some small degree or larger, we have broken relationship with each other. Human relationships can be severed at any number of levels. Not just something as heinous as adultery. Have you ever had an argument with your spouse and became more focused on being right than on the reconciliation that is necessary for your marriage to move forward? And then threw in the silent treatment on top of that until they came to their senses? Have you ever read a post online that in your considered judgment was so incredibly stupid it required you to educate that person with your vastly superior knowledge and to do it in such a way that makes them look the fool that they are? You've severed a relationship there. Have you ever been out to dinner with friends one night and just had a great time being together, catching up with one another, talking, so on and so forth, and then the next night, you slice them to ribbons with gossip and unkind observations about what you learned the night before? Those kinds of things put us over the line every bit as much as something else as adultery. Sin is nothing to play with. It separates us from God. It separates us from other people. And it also separates us from ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, we are all created in the image of God. And when we sin, because that is opposed to the ways of God, to the goodness of God, we feel a twinge in our conscience. We are ashamed of what we have done, and rightly so. But if we don't deal with that, if we don't find forgiveness for that, if we're unable to confess and be cleansed of that, and continue along that path, we reach a point where we are no longer ashamed But we are shame itself. We not only feel bad about what we've done, we feel bad about who we are. And it can reach a point where the person in the world that we loathe the most is the one in the mirror. I would challenge you the next time you're doing a mindless sort of task, Washing the dishes, mowing the lawn, going for a dry, where your mind is free to wander. What's your self-talk? Are you telling yourself things like, wow, you are amazing. You are so awesome. You are so godly. You are so good. I'd be surprised. Sin has a way of bringing up in those moments the things That we regret sins that have hurt others, embarrassed us, and it makes us want to disconnect from ourselves, disown ourselves. I I imagine when you were listening to me read this story, you you began to develop a, a, a mental image of what that scene looked like. You could probably see the woman standing there in some sort of public square with a gathering crowd, angry Pharisees behind her, pointing the finger, condemning, and Jesus standing in front of her. That's that's the image that I have. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that that was yours as well. But I'd be willing to bet you did not imagine the woman Standing in front of Jesus, proud, head held high, defiant, looking Jesus right in the eye. No, I imagine your image of the woman was probably a lot like mine a very frightened individual, wrapped in shame and terror. Not looking Jesus or anyone else in the eye. But simply looking down and wishing, hoping that somehow this would all go away. Filled with shame. If we were honest, I think every one of us could say we've been in that place. Maybe it wasn't adultery. Maybe it wasn't public But on some level, we've all felt that sting of embarrassment and rejection and unworthiness. Sin is not about our good, it's only about destroying, destroying our relationship with God, destroying our relationship with others, destroying our relationship with ourselves. And one of the things that I like about this particular story is that it's a picture of every person. You know, our our lives parallel the woman's in so many ways. Whether we've committed the act or not is not the point, but we've all stepped into sin. We've all been separated from God. Like her, whom I'm sure from that point on Relationships were very difficult. We've been separated from others. We've all reached a point of shame, being separated from ourselves. But there's one other way in which our lives can parallel hers. You see, in that moment when that woman was standing there, the only thing that was standing between her and certain death was Jesus. And with his unfailing, all encompassing love, he rescued her from certain death. He didn't condone, he rescued. And sometime later, He would go to the cross to rescue all of us as well. Because the only thing that stands between us and certain death is Jesus. As the Son of God come to earth in the flesh, only Jesus lived a sinless life. Only Jesus was in a place to be able to offer up an adequate sacrifice on our behalf. Only Jesus willingly did so. Why? Because He loved us. Because He refused to let sin define us. To let sin win. Jesus defeated death. In just a moment, I want us to... uh, Pray together because um, I'm confident there's not a soul here or in the communion venue or online who could say, I don't have that problem. No, sin has touched us all. And if, if you're already a Christ follower, you, you know what you need to do right now. Just bring it to Jesus and confess. Agree with Him that what you did was wrong and receive His cleansing and His forgiveness. He's more eager to give it to you than you are to ask for it. And if you're not presently a Christ follower, I want to invite you to step into that relationship. Maybe you haven't realized until today the seriousness of your sin. But understand that even greater than sin is the love and the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus. And all you have to do is ask Him into your life to be forgiven and to move on in life. Won't you pray with me now as we do that? Father, we come to You now Confessing in whatever ways that we need to. We haven't been the person that you created and called us to be. We have failed. We have been selfish. We've separated ourselves from you and from others and we've felt the sting of the shame. But oh God how we rejoice that you have not left us with a problem you have provided the solution and we ask you now in Jesus name and by his shed blood to cleanse us from our sins may this be a fresh start for us and if you're here and you are still waiting to begin that relationship with Jesus now is the moment to do so And all you have to do is tell him, Lord, I want to follow you. I understand that my sin is my problem and it's in the way. But I also understand you've defeated it. So forgive me, Lord. May today be a fresh new start for me as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that our message is not a message of condemnation. Just as you asked the woman, who condemns you? No one. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.